0: We normally think of its artistic manifestations, sculptures, paintings, literature, poetry, Michelangelo's David, Machiavelli the Prince, Raphael's Madonna, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, The Last Supper, Petrarch, Boccaccio, the writers who wanted to revive the language of the Greeks and the Romans and their culture. But for someone like me, who has been born after the event, I think that the Renaissance's greatest effect on the world was its idea of a liberal arts education tied to the idea of using that knowledge to solve problems, to always think about progress, to always move forward. Now, the liberal arts were nothing new in the 13th century, it's just that they hadn't been tried to any great extent since the 6th century. As for those of the Renaissance period, they thought of it as septientia et eloquentia knowledge, and eloquence. To them, to improve the state, you have to improve the people. And to their thinking, moral philosophy was what formed good judgment. Because to them, all decisions, especially political ones, and they were focused on improving the state, were essentially moral. So knowledge was needed for morality, which led to good judgment. And then rhetoric or eloquence, was to give the citizen the power to communicate to others his knowledge and judgment, only the ability to make judgments and the power to communicate them made for a complete citizen. As for that knowledge, that was to be found in the liberal arts. For them, they would get this from the classics, like grammar, rhetoric, logic, the arts of communication, mathematics, geometry, astronomy, music, history, poetry, On a side note, the humanists, as we see, who drive the Renaissance, began to pore over the ancient text to such a degree that they developed a new study that could carefully trace the changes Latin had undergone throughout the centuries. This new study was called philology. And by reading the text that they found stored away in old libraries or churches, they got so good at it that they could tell when something was written and normally who wrote it as their knowledge increased. The cover of these books were almost always blank. They would read through it and then go back to the very first page, take some words from the very first sentence, and write it on the cover, and that would be the Tome's new title. To sum all this up, the Renaissance is that period in between the Age of Faith and the Age of Reason.
1: Nice, Ray. Nice knowledge and eloquence. I think that pretty much sums us up, really. Thank that's you. that's that's our new tagline, our motto. Yes, knowledge and eloquence. Welcome back <laughs> to the Renaissance <laughs> Times. Uh, Ray had a little prepared speech there that he wanted to give. Um, a little golf clap there for Ray. That's 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 like a lot more work than you <laughs> normally contribute to in one of our episodes,
0: Ray. I'm really. I hope this is the new Ray we're seeing I'm- emerge. Yeah. In your... Ooh, I was about to say I'm done for the night. But yeah, no, I can do that. <laughs> oh,
1: I thought it was going to be for the year, for the night. That's a, that's an improvement. Um, <clears throat> at the end of episode one of uh, the Renaissance Times, we were starting to talk about Diocletian's persecutions of uh, 303. <laughs> and we were talking about the fact that whilst not all Christians were in love with the idea of martyrdom, there was enough of them that it was a, a big problem mm-hmm. uh, throughout the empire. They were interfering with state sacrifices to the gods, both in the palace and in the army. And it's, it, it started to become a bit of a, an important issue for Diocletian. Right. And he issued this first order, him and, he and Galerius, his, uh, his, his Caesar, his offsider, second basically junior mm-hmm. emperor. <laughs> Uh, Robin to his Batman, Ray to his Cam. Um, They sent an order out to the army saying, the entire army has to give sacrifices or else face discharge or get demoted. It wasn't be executed at this point in time. Right. Now, as I said in the last episode, there were some Christians who were not only happy to be punished for their beliefs, Some of them even welcomed the Mm. punishment. There was this certain tradition of martyrdom in early Christianity, which goes back, of course, to the idea that Jesus himself was the ultimate human sacrifice. So Uh. to follow in his footsteps was the ultimate show of devotion. And you can see elements of this in Paul's epistles He's saying, "Well, yes, I'm suffering, but the Lord also suffered, so that's good. I'm happy to suffer." And as Pauline Christianity took hold after the, you know, the original members of the Jesus movement in Jerusalem were wiped out or kicked out after the Jewish Roman War in mm-hmm. the 60s, then this whole idea of suffering as good became fairly strong—a strong thread throughout uh, Christianity. Now. I think a lot of Christians today are surprised by that. I've, I've had debates with uh, a friend of mine who's uh, trained as a Lutheran pastor over this. He said, no, there was no martyrdom in early Christianity. They never were big martyrs. And I was like, dude, like go back and read the early church fathers, man. Read Eusebius, Eusebius and these guys. The stories are full of it. Anyway, The Passion of the Martyrs, I think Eusebius wrote. Now, um, the, the historical sources as you indicated earlier, tend to blame this persecution on Galerius, mm-hmm. but it's true that, well, he was, he was quite anti-Christian. We think from what we understand, his mother it says was a pagan priestess who hated the Christians for not attending her festivals. But how much of that is propaganda? We, we really don't know. I mean, the only sources we have of Galerius's life are Christian sources mm. and it's obvious they hated him anyway. A few years after this incident with the, the sacrifice that was ruined uh, in two hundred ninety nine, three hundred two, Diocletian went after a different group, the Manichaeans. Hmm. Manichaeans were the followers of the prophet Mani. It was a, a Gnostic religion that had come from Persia originally. Mani declared himself to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, but his teaching was supposed to be the 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 new right. new teaching. Uh, it was the new gospel. It was supposed to be su- sort of surpassing Christianity, Zoroastrianism, and Buddhism. A little bit like uh, Islam was supposed to be uh, a few hundred years later. Um, now, Diocletian took offence when the Manichaeans started criticising the old religions, and Diocletian himself wrote. The gods have determined what is just and true. The wisest of mankind, by counsel and by deed, have proved and firmly established their principles. It is not therefore lawful to oppose their divine and human wisdom, or to pretend that a new religion can correct the old one. To wish to change the institutions of our ancestors is the greatest of crimes. Mm. He's not fucking around. So he's pretty he's pretty clear on this. And again, he's talking about the Manichaeans here, not the Christians. Right. He's saying, look, the state religion is the state religion. And it's been around for a thousand mm-hmm. years. And men today are not wiser than their forefathers. It's a bit like the whole American thing with, whoa, the founding fathers, whoa, 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 the Constitution, <laughs> whoa, 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 that we've been going on about in the, in the bullshit filter, right? <laughs> <clears throat> and he said, look, innovation in worship is going to bring down the wrath of the gods and as he points out it's it's a foreign religion comes from persia who were the traditional enemy of rome and and threatened to corrupt the roman people with the manners and the laws of the orient and as we know particularly from our alexander series you know they they were very different in the sort of to the greco-roman uh, ways of thinking which Caused Alexander himself lots of problems. Mm-hmm. So Diocletian's point is obvious. Um, Manichaeanism is is the device of the enemy to destroy Rome. A bit like a lot of people on the right today see Islam as a threat to their Christian values and Christian worldview, because it's different um, this is the way the Diocletian thought of Manichaeism. This is this is a, a, a toxin that will spread. It's a virus that will spread if it, if we leave it unchecked throughout Rome. It'll upset the old gods and we'll be in big fucking strife. So we need to we need to stop it right now. So he ordered that the Manichaeans, the leading Manichaeans, be burnt alive along with. Their scriptures, and this was the first time the destruction of scriptures was ordered. Right. And he wasn't. Do you want
0: to? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say it. yeah. So he so he has them killed. He burns the scriptures. The low status Manichaeans were to be executed. The high status ones were to be sent to work in the quarries. So yeah, here's a guy who's you know, like you said, he's trying to protect the the entire Roman world by not having their gods offended. So he takes this literally very seriously and is. I almost to the point you get the sense that he wants to teach, use these people as an example because he could have just killed everybody. But to take the ones who are the high status, send them to work for core, in the quarries until they die after years of hard labor. I think he's sending a message to the world about this is the status quo. Do not try to overturn it. Yeah. So then
1: in 302, in the autumn of 302, Diocletian was in Antioch. And the Christian deacon, Romanus, visited the court while sacrifices were taking place. And he interrupted the sacrifice Oh, shit. And started talking <laughs> shit about it in, in a loud voice. Um, oh, he said, oh, you fucking guys, and you fucking, yeah, my God's better than your God. I think that's an actual quote, something like that. <laughs>
0: Oh my god. He was arrested.
1: Huh? He was arrested and sentenced to be set on fire, but Diocletian overruled the decision to have him set on fire uh, because he's a nice guy and he said, "No, we're not going to set him on fire. What is wrong with you people? Have I taught you nothing? That Secret. is not the way to treat the you're overreacting." They said, "Oh, what should we do with him then, Diocletian?" He said, "Well, look, just cut his tongue out. Like I'm sure that'll be that'll be more than enough. Come on, we're not barbarians."
0: <laughs> he was bitching. Make it so he can't bitch. That's all you have to do. Yeah, just, just exactly. Yeah. You know, doesn't their book say an
1: eye for an eye? Well, you know, he he talked shit, so we cut <laughs> out his tongue. Now then, according to Lactantius, so I've mentioned before, Christian historian uh, ended up as tutor to Constantine's son. Um, while they, while they were in Nicomedia in 302, Diocletian and Galerius started having a conversation about, look, what are we going to do about the Christians? They're, they're just interfering with sacrifices in the army, in the court. It's a problem. And Galerius, as we know, supposedly fairly anti-Christian. Diocletian came from a more neutral perspective, but even he, at this point, was going, yeah, these guys are these guys are causing problems. We need to do something about it. Now, Diocletian's position was, look, we'll just. Uh, Prevent them from having roles in the bureaucracy and the court and the military, and that should be enough to appease the gods. Let them do their own thing. Just don't let them interfere with the important sacrifices.
0: Sounds good.
1: Galerius was like, Nah, nah, nah. That's not enough. We need to kill them. Kill all the fuckers. Wipe them out. Kill them all. I say, kill them all. Turn it to eleven. And uh, <clears throat> now Diocletian technically is the the senior emperor here, but you know he was a nice guy. He's like, All right, listen. I'll tell you what we'll do. We can't agree on this. Let's send a messenger to the Oracle of Apollo, Edidima, and you know, ask Apollo what we should do. They're like, all right, all right, we'll do that. We'll go, to, yeah, we'll send someone to Apollo. Good idea. <laughs> tiebreaker, that's Apollo. Apollo's the tiebreaker, he's the arbiter. Arbitration. We're going to arbitration. Apollo, uh, arbitration. <clears throat> so they sent somebody to the Oracle. So Apollo. the Oracle said. Apollo couldn't talk because just men uh, were preventing him from talking. Mm. Now, first I have to go, well, you're not much of a god then, (laughs) if men are preventing you from talking. Uh, But the idea was there was like spiritual interference. Like, it's like. Yeah, like. uh, You remember the old days when you used to have. Uh, television with rabbit ears on right. it, and you were trying to tune the signal, but there were other signals interfering and you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, like there was bandwidth interference and you couldn't get the signal. This is Apollo. See the oracles probably goes, look, I'm trying to talk to Apollo, but there are these other fuckers that are talking to their gods and we're on the same <laughs> channel and I can't hear <laughs> Apollo because the Christians are blocking it. They're, they're, right. they're blocking the signal. You can't stop <laughs> the signal, Mal. Um, so they were, they were blocking the signal and but of course we only find this story in Eusebius. Okay. Anyway. Right. Anyway, that was that. Diocletian's like, oh, they're fucking interfering with Apollo talking to us? Oh, we're all fucked if we don't stop this. So <laughs> on February the 23rd, 303, Diocletian ordered that the newly built Christian church that he could see from his palace windows in Nicomedia <laughs> be raised to the ground. Oh. Its scriptures burned. Its treasures seized. And the next day, he issued his edict against the Christians. Now, the key targets of the edict were Christian clerics and and Christian property. The edict prohibited Christians from assembling for worship, ordered the destruction of all their scriptures, their liturgical books, and the places of worship, not just in Nicomedia, but across the empire. Right. They were deprived of the right to petition to courts, which made them potential subjects for judicial torture because they had no legal oversight. They couldn't respond to actions brought against them in court. They had no right to a defense attorney. Christian senators, equestrians, veterans, and soldiers were all deprived of their ranks. And Right. Christian imperial
0: freedmen, freed slaves, were re-enslaved. Damn. But you you can do that to Christian because it's like going to Pennsylvania and pushing the Amish. They're not going to fight back. They're Christians. They've been told to turn the other cheek. It's going to be fine.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll see about that long term. But yeah. Now... Here's the important point. This is brutal, yes, brutal. Burning down the churches, burning the scriptures, you know, having everyone arrested, etc., etc. But it's important to understand that he said it must be pursued without bloodshed. Galerius wanted them all to be burned alive. And Diocletian said, no, 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 no harm shall come to the Christians themselves just we want to destroy the religion not harm the people yes ray
0: ah no i was just i was just going to say yeah so keep the people alive they can still work they can still contribute to society and most importantly they can still pay their taxes we're just just destroying the institution that they believe in wonderful plan now
1: the edict was no sooner posted up than some Christian <laughs> tore it down, spat on it, and said, The Amber can go fuck himself. <laughs> so he was immediately arrested, <laughs> tortured, racked, and burnt at the stake. Whoops. Diocletian had been right that Christians kind of loved being martyrs. Now, soon afterwards, there was an outbreak of, of fire at the palace now lactantius accuses galerius of starting it himself so he could throw blame on the christians like the, like nero supposedly right. did um, like hitler and the burning of the mm. reichstag like george w bush and 911 if you want to believe in that it was a false flag attack according to lactantius yeah. Uh, he also claims that Galerius convinced Diocletian to get every official in the palace to use the rack to try and get at the truth of who started it. But nothing was discovered. Nobody admitted to it. However, 15 days later, there was another fire at the palace. <laughs> at this point, Galerius went, Fuck this shit, I'm out. I'm outing 3,000. <laughs> and uh, he left. He said, I no longer will stay to be burnt alive. And he, oh, wow. he quit the palace, even though it was bad weather for <laughs> traveling, apparently. Now, Lactantius says that Diocletian then just allowed his blind terrors to get the better of him. And this is when the persecution began in earnest. He forced his wife and daughter to recant. They were Christians, as I mentioned in the first episode. He purged the palace put to death some of his eunuchs who were Christians. The Bishop of Nicomedia was beheaded. And lots and lots of Christians were thrown into prison. Now, two fires breaking out in the palace is certainly suspicious, but I think as a general rule, tyrants don't set fire to their own palaces when they're sleeping in them. (laughs) Um, general rule, uh, particularly in the days of when things are built of wood and (laughs) uh, it's really dry and uh, you don't have a fire engine nearby. So I, uh, yeah, a fire extinguisher. Um, Now, Galerius began to purge his army of Christians unless they would sacrifice. Officers would lose lose rank and, Soldiers would be dismissed without taking into account any of their long service uh, bonuses or anything like that, but he's not killing them, at least not carte blanche as popular imagination right. has it. Several were put to death in Moesia where a guy called Maximus was governor. But even here, as I mentioned in the last episode, we see the Roman officials trying to talk the Christians out of being tortured and dying (laughs) for no reason. And I've got some of the stories I just want to give as an example. Um, Among the army, there was a veteran called Julius. He had served in the legion for 26 years, fought in seven campaigns, and didn't have a single black mark on his name, according to Eusebius in his uh, version of this. Now, Maximus did his best to get, to talk Julian out of it. According to the account in Eusebius, Mm -hmm. Maximus writes, says, Julius, I see that you're a man of sense and wisdom. Suffer yourself to be persuaded and sacrifice to the gods. I will not, said Julius, (laughs) do what you ask. I will not incur by an act of sin, eternal punishment. Wait, 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 Maximus said, look, I take the sin upon myself. I will use compulsion so that you may not seem to act voluntarily. Then you will be able to return in peace to your house and you will receive the bounty of 10 denarii and no one will molest you. So Super Maximus nice. is going, look, it's not, not your sin. I'm forcing you to do it. So you, no one can blame you. Your God can't blame you. Right. I'm forcing you to do it. So just do it. Not only will I let you go, I'll, I'll give you a fucking you. 10 denarii. <laughs> I'll give you a reward. I'll take the blame, take the sin, whatever that fucking is. Yeah. Don't believe in your God, by the way, but I'll take it on. And right. uh, <laughs> reminds me, so just to pause for a second, um, you know, I was in the city with my son, Hunter, a couple of weeks ago, um, and there was this, this young guy preaching in the middle of a deserted area of a university, and he's like, blah, <laughs> blah, 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 Anyway, I stopped and listened to her for a while. It was great. <laughs> And on my way back, the other way, he was he was taking a break, having a coke, and I sat down. I said, "Hey, how's the voice going?" He goes, "Yeah, it's getting a bit hoarse." And we started chatting. He goes, "You're you're a Christian?" I said, no, "No, no, I'm not, man." And we started having a conversation. And and it, you know, I'm making the, for people who are new to the series and don't know, uh, haven't listened to other stuff. I'm in the middle at the moment of making a documentary on early Christianity. I'm going around the world interviewing Christian scholars, mostly believing Christian scholars. Heading to Raleigh, North Carolina, in a couple of weeks, and uh, to interview some there. Anyway, so I know a little bit about early Christianity, and I said, you know, I got to take issue with some of the things you were saying, like it's not actually true. Um, and he said, yes, it is. And I said, well, it's really not. Yes, it is. And I said, well, the majority of biblical scholars would disagree with you on that. But anyway, anyway, we got this went on. It was a pleasant, nice, friendly conversation for half an hour. And um, I, he, he, at one point, he said, so you're an atheist, and I said, well, yeah, you know, I kind of. He goes, but you can't prove that God doesn't exist. And I said, well, look. I don't have to. All I'm saying, I don't I don't say that 100 percent I know gods don't exist. What I say is I see no evidence to believe in a God. He said, Well, you're not an atheist, then you're an agnostic. I said, All right, if you want, but so are you. Because you can't prove God does exist. So you you must also be an agnostic. You can't neither of us can mm-hmm. prove it. He goes, Yeah, I can. I absolutely know. Absolutely, absolutely know. I was like, all right. I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I'm gonna let's run an experiment. All right? here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna find a hospital that'll work with us we're going to take 10 people, 50 people, um, sick people, and we're going to take them aside and uh, they're not going to get any medical treatment for a month. You're just going to pray for them to your God to make them better. Uh, we'll get another 50 people picked at random who you won't pray for. They'll get medical treatment. Then we'll have a control group in the middle that you know neither does anything for. If after the month your group is statistically more healed than my group or the control group, I'll tell you what, I will convert to whatever flavor of Christianity you want me to. I'll join your church. I'll recant my atheism. I'll say, I was wrong. Obviously, there's something to this. However, if your group doesn't show a statistically better healing factor, At the end of that period, you have to recant your Christianity, convert to atheism, publicly declare that you have recanted your faith. He said, no, not going to do it. I said, why not? He said, my God doesn't like to be tested. I said, how convenient for your God. (laughs) By the way, do you know who else doesn't like to be tested? People who fail tests all the time. That's who doesn't like to be tested. (laughs) Anyway, I said, all right. Well, I think I've heard everything I need to hear. Thanks very much. Have a nice day. Anyway.
0: So... So this is the... <laughs> there was no bloodshed. This is a bet I
1: was pretty sure I was going to win. Yeah. No bloodshed. Yeah. So here's the- So the governor, Maximus, is saying, look, I'll take it all on myself. And, and um, he said, look, you're a good soldier. You're an old soldier. You've been around. You've, you've survived seven campaigns, motherfucker. Like, don't go out this way. This is just grotesque. Yeah. Julius... The soldier's reply was, Neither this devil's money nor your specious words shall cause me to lose eternal God. I cannot deny him. Condemn me as a Christian. And it goes backwards and forwards for some time. Maximus says, Look, I pity you and I beg you to sacrifice so that you may live with us. To live with you would be death for me. But if I die, I shall live, said Julius. If you strike me down, Darth... I shall become more powerful <laughs> than you can possibly imagine. Get behind me, Caesar. Maximus you. says, yeah. "Look, listen to me and sa- listen to me and sacrifice. If not, I'll have to keep my word and order you to death." Julius replied, "I have often prayed that I might merit such an end." Maximus says, "Then you've chosen to die." Julius says, "I have chosen a temporary death, but an eternal life." Maximus said, "Oh, fuck it, I give up," and he was executed. <laughs> So did he get a hundred virgins? We can see here that Maximus, the governor of Galerius, is going to extreme lengths according to the Christian sources to talk this guy out of it, and the guy would not be talked out of it. Then there's another story. At Tangiers, Marcellus, a centurion in the legion of Trajan, threw down his centurion staff and belt in front of the whole army who was assembled to sacrifice in honor of Maximian's birthday. He re- he threw down his stuff and he refused to serve any longer. So you know what happened to him. Why? A similar scene uh, takes place in Spain at Calahorra <laughs> near Tarajo where two soldiers also threw down their weapons in front of the army and yelled out, we are called to serve in the shining company of angels. There Christ commands his cohorts clothed in white and from his lofty throne condemns your infamous gods. And you, who are the creatures of these gods, or should we say these ridiculous monsters? Ooh. So, you know, they get executed as well. These these guys are going out yeah, of their way. Begging for it. To piss everyone begging off. It's not like the Christians are quietly worshipping in their churches, in their homes. They're begging for it, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think if you look at these stories with impartiality, You have to suspect that the the persecutions of Diocletian are really due to the fanaticism Mm -hmm. of certain Christian soldiers who were eager to be martyred. It wasn't some sort of bloodlust on behalf of Galerius or Maximian or Diocletian. It was the, the Christians wanted this to happen, they brought it willingly upon themselves. And you might, you know, the Christians listening might go, yes, but that was their religious conviction. It was their belief. But it it wasn't all Christians who did this. In fact, I think the majority of Christians going by the sources were like, yeah, sure, I'll fake it. Don't worry about it. What matters is what I really believe. Right, right. Right. And I'll, you know, yeah. So anyway. In the summer of 303, there were a series of Christian-led rebellions in uh, Malatine in uh, Turkey and Syria. Maximian published another edict, a second edict, ordering the arrest and imprisonment of all bishops and priests.
0: He's got to. Yeah. But then... He's got to, man. (laughs) He's got to. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's getting out of control. That's his job, to maintain order.
1: It reminds me of that... The opening scene of episode one of The Wire, where uh, McNulty's talking to the guy about Snot Boogie. But if Snot Boogie kept interrupting your games, why did you keep learning and playing? Gats <laughs> to man, it's America.
0: <clears throat> anyway, um, but then he issued the third edict. Do you want to talk a little bit about the third edict? The third edict, I mean, he's trying, he's trying to, he's again giving them another chance. So anticipation of an upcoming 20th anniversary of his reign on November 20th, 303, Diocletian declares a general amnesty in his third edict. Any imprisoned clergyman could now be freed so long as they agree to make a sacrifice to the gods. It's, it's believed that Diocletian was searching for some good pl- publicity with this legislation. Uh, he Maybe he was also trying to fracture the Christian community, trying to cause him trouble, that kind of thing, get him to argue with each other versus arguing with him all the time. But as you can imagine, uh, the demand to sacrifice was unacceptable to many that were in, imprisoned, and a lot of them uh, just simply said no. So even though he tried, um, it, it didn't work out the way he wanted to. Some of the clergy sacrificed willingly. Others did so, with the pain of torture. But again, these, these the people, the Romans who were holding the prisoner just want these people out of, out of their hair, out of their cells, just kowtow, just go through the motions, give me lip service and get the hell out of here because you're making life hell for everybody. And it did not work out the way Diocletian had hoped to, certainly not on the scale that he was hoping for.
1: Yeah, I don't think he needed the publicity. He's the fucking emperor. Yeah. He was like, "Look, good vibes." He's 20, trying to sell 20th anniversary. Yes, yeah, my twentieth anniversary. I'm putting out the remastered album of my original hit. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I'm feeling good about things. <laughs> right. Twenty years. That's a long time to be an emperor these days. Great. Still, Great. I exactly. Tell
0: exactly. Uh, <clears throat>
1: um, I, I feel. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy. How about I'll just let you all out? I look everyone's out of the prisons, everyone you can get your jobs back. I right. don't give it. yeah, you know, it's all good. Just, just just make a fucking sacrifice and it's all good. Yeah. Now, many, including the clergy, did take up the offer. And and we we see this later on, a decade or so later, um, after Constantine uh issues his edict of toleration, um, because then the Christian bishops uh, after that start arguing amongst themselves about Mm. whether or not the clergy who took the out should be allowed to be clergy anymore because the ones that remained hardcore and survived were like, fuck you, I put my life on the line for this. Um, you don't get to come back with your cushy job and the others were like, well, you know, I was just you know, I was just being practical, man. You you're taking this shit too seriously. It's a religion. Like, come on, you know, uh, <laughs> get what are you uh, I'm gonna die? You you crazy. Um <clears throat> Jesus died, so we don't have to. Did you forget that bit? Uh you know, he took he, we don't all have to take that. He took the hit. Isn't that the whole fucking point of the fucking religion? He took the hit. I don't need to take the hit. He
0: took the hit. That's He's like the hit taker. I'm on a hit taker. Yeah. The hot, the, yeah. the top hit taker. Yeah.
1: So yeah. they they argued about this for for, for a long time about right. whether or not people who who, who you know, uh, offered the sacrifices should be let back in the into the, the the clergy. Anyway, others, according to the the stories, were tricked into doing it for their own good. We hear of <gasps> magistrates who ordered the attendance of the court to force a few grains of incense into the hands of the prisoners and and then force them to sprinkle it on the altar and then go right <laughs> well he did it he I looked like, he sacrificed him
0: let him go no the Christians are like no I didn't I didn't mean it yes you no. did yeah you meant it uh,
1: no I, I didn't yeah jammed. well i want you to kill me i want you to kill me no we're <laughs> not going to kill you you sacrificed They're like, no i did it yeah everyone
0: saw you look we've got witnesses just hold your sword or they out. would just hold your sword out I'll run into it. They would <laughs> yeah. thrust
1: sacrificial meat into their mouths, mouths and make them chew like a two, like you do, like a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah, look, he ate the meat. It's all good. <laughs> um, There's stories about this in, in the Christian literature. Yeah. Um, or, 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 you know, often the judge would just try and bribe the people. Um. Um, St. Victor of Galatia was on trial. He was told, if you obey the governor... You shall have the title of friend of Caesar and a post in the palace. Nice. He was like, nah, fuck you. I'd rather die. (laughs) Um, Another guy was offered the favour of the emperors, the highest municipal dignities, and the priesthood of Apollo. Nah, not good enough. What else you got? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now... Maximus, the governor I mentioned before, governor of Calicia, said to Adronicus, who was up on trial, "'Do abandon your foolish boasting "'and listen to me as you would listen to your father. "'Those who have played the madman before you "'have gained nothing by it. "'Pay honour to our princes and our fathers "'and submit yourself to the gods.'" Andronicus supposedly replied, "'You do well to call them your fathers, "'for you are the sons of Satan.'" in the sons of the devil whose works you perform uh, and then they went backwards and forwards and then Maximus finally lost his temper he said I will make you die by inches Andronicus replied I despise your threats and your menaces and Andronicus by the way was 65 years old at this point and he's being he's being led off to torture a friendly Centurion who's yeah. taking him says, Look, have, have pity on yourself and sacrifice. Get thee from me, minister of Satan, said <laughs> Andronicus. Um, then at his trial, <coughs> officers of the court were thrusting between his lips sacrificial bread and meat, and he's spitting them out. He yells to Maximus, <laughs> May you be punished, bloody tyrant, you and they who have given you the power to defile me with your impious sacrifices. One day you will know what you have done to the servants of God. A cursed scoundrel, said the judge, dare you curse the emperors who have given the world such long and profound peace? Andronicus replied, I have cursed them and I will curse them, these public scourges, these drinkers of blood, who have turned the world upside down. May the immortal hand of God tolerate them no longer, and punish their cruel amusements, that they may learn and know the evil they have done to God's servants. If I was there, I would have gone, hold on, drinkers of blood, Uh, don't you guys drink the fucking blood of Christ and eat his flesh? Isn't that like part of your fucking deal? Right, right well, yeah, no, no, no. but... Isn't that... Are you pretty proud of that? Different. Yeah, right. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> Who are you calling drinkers of blood? Shut the fuck up. You drink blood. We drink blood. It's all blood, man. We all drink blood. It's all blood. good. Yeah, it's all We all, all good. drink blood to the gun. <laughs> it's all good, in the hood. <laughs> all right. So my point with all of this is the martyrdom seems, by Christian's own accounts, to be self-inflicted. Now... We know this, so I think a lot of Christians today, when they think of this, uh, they think, "Well, of course they did that. That was the right thing to do. You can't betray your God. That was the right thing to do. Uh, good for them. I would have done the same thing." First of all, no, you wouldn't. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Secondly, um, yeah. we know that the leaders of the churches back then didn't agree with this because they were writing letters to communities all over the place, going, "Cut it out." <coughs> <laughs> stop it, full stop. Uh, they they strictly forbade things like overthrowing pagan statues or or you know willing to throw themselves into martyrdom. They were like, no, you don't have to do that. Stop it, it's not right. <laughs> <clears throat> it's ridiculous. We're all going to be killed. What are you doing? You look up. Listen, we got to. We had a good thing going here. You're ruining it. Stop it. Like, we were 7 to 10% of the, the empire. Party we pooper. would have been 50% soon. Then we'd be, in, we'd be in power. We'd be in control. What are you doing? So it wasn't like all Christians or even Christian leadership thought this way. Some did. Some didn't. And, of course, as in many things, as we'll find as we go, Christianity was very, very fractured at the time in what they believed. Uh, as I've said in other shows, At this point in time, and and well into the future, there were some Christians who believed that Jesus was divine, some who believed he was merely human. Some believed he was not just divine, but had been around since the beginning of time. Others who believed that he he was born human and only became divine Mm. when he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist as an adult. Others believed he was born human as a baby, but then the Holy Spirit descended upon him and he became divine. Um, some sure. believe he didn't even exist at all. He was just like a spirit being who you know, inhabited the spirit realms and was crucified in the, the spirit realm by demons. <laughs> there was a lot of different ideas uh, in Christianity at the time. It wasn't then, nor was it ever, really. A single unified belief system. From Going back from the days of Paul writing in the late 40s and early 50s, there, there was never a unified view of what Christianity meant or believed or stood for. Wasn't then, has never been, and isn't now The uh, a unified view of Christianity. So the, 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 there was a lot of Christians going, hey, we don't need to do this. And others were going, Yes, we do. I want to die. Um, <laughs> there was a guy called Theodorus of Amasia in Pontus who set fire to a temple of Cybele in mm-hmm. the middle of the city and then walked around boasting about it. <laughs> um, and then there was this another guy, a, a martyr called Asterius. I wonder if it was the same Asterius. That, no, it wouldn't have been the same one. It was the guard of that other guy. Anyway, at his trial, uh, they said, do you have anything to say? He goes, yeah, look, I've got one favour to ask. And they said, all right, what is it? It is that you will not leave unlacerated a single part of my body. Jeez. Like, it shows you the, the level of craziness that they were dealing with here, the Romans. It's not just, look, yeah, I, I want to die because the Lord died and I'm happy to die. Right. It's not I, I want to be tortured. I want to suffer. Yeah. I want pain. <clears throat> Now, even the court records, uh, according to the, the ancient uh, Christian sources, show that um, the Romans were kind of shocked and worried about what mm-hmm. was going on. The reports of the trials, it's not like, you know, uh, um, witch trials in Salem uh, with people going, Bada, Bada, she's a witch. <laughs> How do you know she is a witch? <laughs> she looks like one. She turned me into a newt. I got better, better anyway. <laughs> there wasn't any of that going on. The the, right. the histories show that the the courts were silent, orderly. The judges trying not to condemn people to death as much as possible, trying to convert people. You know, just just take the fucking incense. <laughs> like, just do it. Let just us pull out. their hair out. If Diocletian had wanted blood, yeah, he could have had it in rivers. Not in streams, but he didn't. He wanted to eradicate what he believed to be a dangerous superstition that was causing people to offend the gods and refuse to acknowledge the government and was going to be a bad thing for the rest of the Roman population. And then he issued the fourth edict in 304,
0: right? And, and you got to give him credit. I mean, he, he came down hard on him with the first edict, came down hard on him with the second edict, tried to back off a little bit of moderation with the third edict, maybe, a comprom- maybe make a compromise, but it doesn't work. So in 304, the fourth edict orders, orders that all persons, men, women, and children, to gather in a public place and to offer a collective sacrifice. If they do not, if they, re- if they refuse, they are to be executed. He is done plain because like you said he's trying to save Rome. I don't I'm not mad at the people. I'm mad at what they're doing or I'm mad at this religion or I'm mad at this influence or whatever. I am trying to purge that out of the empire so the old gods still smile down on Rome and keep us great.
1: Now, where was Constantine in all of this? Now, there's no evidence that he participated Ooh. in the persecutions, but there's also none that he tried to oppose them. He didn't have a great deal of power. Obviously, at this stage, he's not a Caesar, but his dad is now. His dad, Constantius, Daddy C, ruling in Britain and Gaul, according to the Christian records, seems to have avoided these uh, persecutions as much as possible. He can't just say no because you know he's 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 right. uh, second uh, in command to the the senior emperors, but. He he basically tries to avoid going over the top. There are stories of him pulling down churches made of stone and wood, but then hiding the materials away and and, and keeping them in good condition so they can be used to rebuild it, build the churches later on. But then mm-hmm. uh, on May first, three hundred five, a couple of years into the only two years into the persecutions, not even that year and a half, Diocletian decides to resign. His 20 years are up, 22 years. He's like, you know what? That's a good time. Good time. He's he's been sick. He's been sick for a while. He decides, time to hang up my purple robe and, uh, you know, go and live the simple life again. bit like our old mate Sulla. He's like, you know what? Had enough. Had enough of the stress dealing with the Christians. Gonna hang up my stripes. And... (laughs) He said to Maximian, his uh, co-ruler, look, yeah, yeah, I think we should do it at the same time. He said to Maximian, let's do it at the same time. Like, it'll be a big thing. We'll both resign, same time, let the other guys step up a notch. And Maximian was like, yeah, all right, whatever you say, boss. Yeah, okay, sure. So
0: they... Simultaneous retirement. They they resigned
1: in 305,
0: Ray. So uh Constantius, uh Big C and Gallerus are promoted to Augusti, with Severus and Maximinus Dia, I'm not sure how to say that, uh Galarus's nephew or appointed their respective Caesars for whatever reason. Um, Constantine and Maxient, uh, Maxentius, uh, are ignored. So again, like you said earlier before, smooth transition of power. The younger guys move up. They've got some experience. It's time to keep this thing moving um, smoothly as, as, as they possibly can. However, now that things have changed and, and Galarus is now one of the Caesars, Constantine feels like he's not going to be safe in Galarus's court. I don't know if there was personal tension between them, but because things have changed because Constantine and um, uh, Diocletian got along pretty well, but now Constantine doesn't feel safe and he needs to find a way to get out of there to get to the relative safety of his father's court.
1: Just to clarify, you said Galerius was now Caesar. He was now Augustus. He had been Caesar. Yeah, everyone believed until the very last moment that Diocletian would choose Constantine and Maxentius, Maximian's son, as the Caesars, the junior emperors. But for reasons we don't know, he didn't. Instead, he chose Valerius Severus, a Roman officer who was an old friend of Galerius's, and Maximinus Dyer. Galerius's nephew as the new Caesars interesting so yeah. <clears throat> it looks here that Galerius has really uh got the drop on Diocletian here he's uh maybe had photos of him with a goat uh we don't know, <laughs> but it certainly seems that he's he's certainly got some power here because this is very strange, yeah. Now, as you say, Constantine quickly figured out that he probably wasn't safe, and uh, he gets his father to request that he be sent to help him in his campaign in Britain, and Galerius uh, says no and sends Constantine out in a bunch of Herculean missions that he should have died in, but he survives. And then one night, Galerius gets drunk and says, all right, go. By the way, the, <laughs> Go. the Origo Constantini, the secular uh, biography on Constantine's life, writes, Now, Galerius was such a tippler that when he was drunk, he gave orders such as ought but to be obeyed. And so, at the advice of his prefect, he directed that no one should execute any commands which he issued after luncheon. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think he did this after. He, he knew himself. After,
0: he was a drunk who knew himself. I think
1: he did this after he let Constantine get away. He was like, oh, I should never. Don't. Don't <laughs> oh, listen to anything don't. I say when I'm yeah. drunk. How many times have I told you? But, so by the time he sobered up the next morning, it was too late. Constantine had escaped to Gaul. And he and his dad made their way to Britain and spent a year campaigning against the uh, up uh, in Scotland, Bonnie Scotland, it's a bra brick moonlight neck, neck to neck beyond Hadrian's Wall, sonny. And then in July three oh five, only a uh, couple of months after he becomes Augustus, uh, Constantius Constantius dies of an illness while they're in Aww. York. Before he died, yeah. His men gathered around him and said, who should take over when you die? And he said, to the
0: strongest. (laughs) By which I mean my son.
1: No, only kidding. That was the Alexander series. I'm only gagging.
0: Well, I I just wanted to mention, you know, going back about, I guess, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, we talked about Caesar when he heard about the Germans coming over. He dashed to Gaul. And when uh, Tiberius heard about his brother, uh, Drusus, you know, being injured, he dashes to him. But picture this guy. I mean, this guy wins the cake. Constantine goes all the way from the east, all the way to his father in Gaul, and then they go to Britain. So again, I, I just think as far as someone who just dashes as fast as he possibly can because his life depends on it, I think Constantine wins whatever courier award there would possibly exist by the travel that he made to get the hell out of there.
1: Dashing through the gold <laughs> in a one-horse imperial sleigh. That's where that song originally yeah. comes from. Um, <clears throat> Now... Constantine, on the death of Constantius, Constantine is declared the new Augustus by the army, not just the Caesar. He's not even a Caesar, remember? He got passed over by Diocletian. The army declare him the new Augustus. Now, when Constantius died, one of the Gallic kings he had with him, Crocus, proclaimed Constantine, Augustus, and the troops went, hey, and that yeah. was it. All of <laughs> Gaul and Britain claimed him the new Augustus. Uh, Hispania, which was now part of Constantius's territories, but had only been there for a little while, they didn't. But uh, right. Connie then sent Galerius, as so I'm going to refer to Constant- Constantine from now, by the way, Connie. <laughs> Connie then sent uh, Galli a note with a painting of himself in the robes of an Augustus, but with yes. a note saying, hey, listen, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't my idea. They made me do it. Uh, yeah. nothing yeah. I could do about it. Don't, Maybe. you know, don't go nuts. Right.
0: <clears throat> Question. Gally, of course, yeah. went nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say on a scale from one to 10, how much is Galera's going to care that a barbarian king proclaimed somebody Augustus? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Probably 11. <laughs> I think he turned it up to 11. <laughs> So he said, listen, bitch, only I have the power to make someone an Augustus, not this Gallic king I've never even heard of. So instead he made Severus, the Augustus, telling Connie he could replace Severus as a Caesar instead. Mm. Connie, Connie went, all right. Fair, that's fair, that's fair, and uh, at least it made him legit now in the eyes of the whole empire. So he got his father's domains, Gaul, Britain, and Spain, which means he gets one of Rome's biggest armies, uh, which at the time was stationed along the, the Germanic frontier, the Rhine. First crossed, of course, by Julius Caesar, then by Agrippa, Drusus, Tiberius, etc., as we've covered in detail on our Caesar series. Check it out. Yeah. Um, Then he stayed in Britain for a while, and then he went to his main capital, Augusta Trevororum, named, uh, as I said before, after Trevor the Great,
0: in uh, Gaul. Now the um the, the now he when he went to his father and they went to Britain he did get in, get in some fighting with his father he had fought in the east so this guy is not new to combat to generalship to tactics and strategy so now that he is the Caesar no longer the Augustus um the Franks hear about this relatively young man taking charge and they decide this is a opportunity for them, and so the Franks invade Gaul across the Lower Rhine during the winter of 306 to 307, but um, Constantine, with his experience with this massive army, and now that he is legitimate, is ready to go face them.
1: Now, somewhat surprisingly, the Franks were a Germanic tribe. Um, do you know how they got their name, the Franks, from right No, tell me. Well, there's two schools of thought. One is because they always said just whatever they were thinking. <laughs> they were like, shit, you're, you're
0: you know, fucking Frank.
1: One of their original kings said, you know what? I, ju- I just say what I'm thinking. And they went, yeah. well, no, we're going to call you Frank. So he was uh, frank, frank
0: the Frank King. Yeah. He was quite, quite Actually, frankly very Frank. Yeah. I think what he said was, uh, man, your sister's hot. And that's just something you don't do. It's just <laughs> something you don't do. He said, my sister's hot. He said, "Yeah, you know, my sister's pretty hot. Oh, he said, hey, I just call it as I see it. <coughs> Your sister's hot, but my sister's way hotter.
1: Now, crossing the Rhine uh, was not one of the Franks' better ideas, <laughs> as it turns out. Constantine drove them back across the Rhine, captured two of their kings, Ascaric and Merogaisus, And had them fed to the beasts in his amphitheatre in uh, Trier in Gaul. Yeah, and they weren't even Christians. He was (laughs) like, "You Christians? No, I'm going to feed you to the lions anyway." Now, meat is still meat. Here's where here's where it gets interesting. Now, Galerius, remember, is the big anti-Christian guy, Mm -hmm. and he also doesn't like. Constantine, who doesn't like him in return because he demoted him from Augustus down to Caesar. Right. Now, Connie says he's gonna end the persecution of the Christians in his territories. Mm-mm. His father wasn't all that big for it, and he's like, Yeah, this isn't uh this is just what's the point? I'm not doing it. It's just too much effort. I got other things to worry about. It's lame. And yeah. and he returned everything they had lost during their Persecution, damn their titles, their buildings. Rebuilt the churches. His father had stored away the stone and wood. It's his way of setting himself apart from Galerius. Galerius is the big bad wolf. I'm Little Red Riding Hood. Right. Um, now, this whole religious toleration thing doesn't make him or his father special. Obviously, as I explained earlier, that was the traditional Roman way. Religious toleration had been the Roman and, and the Greek way before them, within limits. Yeah. As um, long as you pay your taxes, turn up to work on time, don't cause, don't start any shit. We really don't care what you believe. Sure, it would be nice if you sacrifice to the gods, but if you're not going to do that, just don't get in the way and fuck shit up, right? Just D back, <laughs> in other words. D-back. Just, <clears throat> if you can D back, You can come back. That was his slogan that he issued in his
0: his edict.
1: If you could d back, you can come
0: back. It's all fair. All's forgiven. And then, then shit went cray. Now, the other part of this is, um, like you said, Constantine's relaxing, he, uh, the, the persecution of the, the Christians, he's giving his stuff back. Now, he's been around enough to know, to expect things. So he starts a major expansion. Uh, how, do, how do we pronounce it? Trier, the town? I don't know how to say that. Tr- T- Trier. Trier, so he starts. He starts a, ma- a major expansion around Trier. Improves the wall around the city. He builds military towers and fortified gates, and he works on the palace in the northeastern part of the city. Uh, but obviously, something for the people to the south of the palace. He builds a large formal audience hall, massive imperial bath house. And he's going to go on and you're not going to be surprised by this, but he's going to go on and sponsor a lot of construction throughout Gaul because it provides jobs and makes the people love you. But so he's pissing off gallerists, but at the same time he's preparing his capital uh, in a very military way because he knows there's, go- there's going to be a backlash for this.
1: As it was customary, Connie as the new Caesar had his portrait painted and sent to Rome. Now, Maxentius, Maximian's son. Right, little Max. Maximian was little, little Maxie, yeah. Big Maxie was Diocletian's co-emperor. Little Maxie was supposed to be the new Caesar, got looked over. But now Connie, who was also looked over as now Caesar, he's still out in the cold, he's pissy, calls <laughs> Connie the son of a whore and sees the title of emperor on the 28th of October, three oh six. Yeah. Now Galerius says fuck, fuck off and sent Severus with an army against Maxentius.
0: Right. But now, there's a flaw in his plan. During the
1: campaign
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: <coughs> during the campaign, Severus's armies, who had previously served under Maxentius's father, Maximian, defecated. No, wait, let me read that again. Defected and Severus defecated and when they defected <laughs> and Severus was seized and imprisoned yeah so the
0: pretender has captured the Caesar that did not work out the way Gallerus or Severus was hoping it would now i'm trying to figure out so Maximian the father comes out of retirement because of all this that's going on. But he doesn't go to his son. He goes to Constantine instead in Gaul in mid-307. And I guess he's trying, before things can get out of hand, trying to um, parlay and and to build an alliance. So Maximian offers his daughter Fausta and the rank of Augustine to Constantine and all Constantine has to do is reaffirm the alliance between Maximian and and, and Constantius, you know, the two older men, Constant's father, and give his son Little Max some support in Italy, because he's clearly gonna need it. So here's this guy who comes out of retirement. He was he was the Augusta, but he's not anymore. But he's offering him marriage into that family, and he's offering to acknowledge him as as Augustus. All he's got to do is help a son who is now a rebel. I don't know if that's the greatest position for constant uh, um uh shit for him to be in but how do you say no to a deal like that because you're gonna piss somebody off. How does Constantine say no?
1: Well yeah where does Maximian get the balls to think he can just create a third Augustus? I don't know but he offers <laughs> to marry his daughter Fausta to Constantine as part of the deal and I think that's what you call a Faustan bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Boom <clears throat> So Connie, little Connie goes, yeah, okay, it's a deal. So he marries Fausta in Trier in the late summer of 307, gives little Maxi political recognition, but it's really nothing more than a nod and a wink in his direction. He then returns to Britain, sends his armies across the Rhine, says, hey, my name is Paul, and this is between you all. I'm now an Augustus. <laughs> I'm, I'm Audi 3000. Maximian returns to Rome in 307, to, to support his son, Little Max, but something happens. They have a falling out. Uh then Big Max tries to usurp little Max's title. I don't know why he had to. He was the Augustus in, you know, Emeritus. He could have just gone, ah, eh, I'm coming back. Right. Anyway, he, he tries to overthrow his son, it fails, and then he goes to live with little Connie. Damn. It's all a big fucking mess, really. It's all shit in a shit basket here. (laughs) Um, but I think... Shit potpourri. That's where we need to... I think that's where we need to end episode two, Ray. Yeah. Uh, Shit is going to pieces, and as we will see in episode three, it's about to get worse. Um... Anything you want to say in conclusion of episode two of our brand new kick-ass series, Raimondo? Oh, I, want to, I want to add, follow us on Facebook. The, look for the yeah. Renaissance Times on Facebook. Follow us yeah. there. Follow us on the uh, Cam and Ray podcast Facebook page. Follow us on Facebook ourselves. Look for Cameron Riley or Ray Harris.
0: What else? I, I just wanted to say that they all should have listened to the words of Leonardo da Vinci, all these guys in Western Empire getting all pissy. You can have no dominion greater or less than that over yourself, and these men are clearly not in control of their impulses. And everybody wants to be Augustus.
1: I uh, just want to close up by saying, if you're new to our shows, uh, we have a thing that we do. If you go up, whoops! If you go up to iTunes and write us a nice review on iTunes, uh, mm-hmm. five stars all the way. Good, big, solid. Make it funny. Make it clever. Yeah. Make it witty. We will pick out we, – we do this. We've been doing this for years. We will pick out our favourite review each week and send that person a token of our appreciation, usually a coffee mug with the album art on it, maybe a witty saying, right. like, if you D-back, you can come back. Um, <laughs> I haven't actually made those mugs yet, but I will. Right. And, uh, you know, people build up a collection of Rain Cam mugs. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, they you know drink limoncello <laughs> out of them, um, I've been told. If you don't know how to find our iTunes review page, just go up to the renaissancetimes.com and follow the link in the sidebar to leave an iTunes review. And um, yeah, then we'll, we'll uh, send you a thank you.
0: Yeah, and if you need further inspiration, you can have my nude form on your coffee mug. Congratulations.
1: All right, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Ray.
0: Bye-bye, ta-ta.